Welcome everybody to Video Night. This week we have Ken Reed. He's going to be joining us where we discuss TV movies that are kind of teen oriented, like big, huge casts of teens from the late 80s, early 90s. Ken, how's it going? Good, how are you? That was the worst opening ever. <laughs> I don't know why I stumbled over. I've heard much, much worse. I don't rehearse. I don't do well with writing stuff down and preparing. I just kind of wing it and it's just how I function in life. But that's the best way to do it. If it's too rehearsed, then it'll sound false. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. And the other thing we talked about, you know, are we ever going to get commercial sponsorship? And I was like, you know, it'd be great to get paid for a podcast, but every single time I hear a commercial, it stops dead. It's either rehearsed oh, yeah. or it's, it cuts away to a commercial and you're like, I'm, I'm gone. I'm going to go <laughs> to another yeah. show. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons I've really avoided having any commercials on my show. But, you know, I, I'll happily lose money on it every week to just not like... It, we, you know, we could spend it on drinking or gambling or hookers. That's or true. I could spend it on hookers. Or stamps. <laughs> stamps. That is a weird hobby. I don't know why people have that. Yeah, it's very strange before we meander off I, we should call the podcast the tangent show is what we should have started off because every single show has these segues i have no problem with it one lady was just like you guys will not stay on topic you go all over the place i'm like have you heard people talk that's yeah how we are that's how podcasts are i you know what would be really great is if you got i guess you would have to get um what's his name uh george um hamilton and you could call it the tangents tangent podcast <laughs> And it would just be gentlemen, oh. like, you know, just guys talking while they're tanning. This cigar is awesome. How's your cavassier? Oh, exactly. Let's sit on the villa. When... <laughs> exactly. Tangents, tangent. I, I would listen to that at least once. <laughs> the whole thing recorded while they're sitting on, like, lawn chairs, just yeah. sitting there with the little, the little foil thing they put around their neck. Oh, yeah. So, everybody, this episode, like I was saying, is about the teen movies of the 1980s that were specifically on television. I don't even know what you would even call that genre. Teen exploitation sounds horrible. Yeah. I've seen that on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. I'm like, no, that sounds like porn. Teen exploitation was sort of softcore porn things from the 1970s, but it was not really appropriate for probably the network made-for-TV movies. Although no, I think... these were wholesome fun. Yeah. Oh, there's a couple moments, though, in each one. Every single one of them has this moment like, oh, all right, that was kind of racy. Yeah, yeah. It's very strange because I think when Entertainment Weekly was talking about the teen exploitation, it was probably like the American Pie era. And yeah. at that point, it was, it really was teen exploitation because you they were sort of those gross-out titty movies at that point. But at this point, it was it was wholesome exploitation in that they were trying to get the most out of the contracts they had for these teen actors when they weren't yeah. shooting the shows in the summer. And how many of them were actually teenagers, though? Seriously. I look at some of these and go, clearly, movies have changed a lot. Most teenagers now, you, you cap out at, like, 22. You can no longer play a high schooler. We got some movies here where I, I, I swear some of these people are almost in their 30s. Well, that's so that you could shoot with them, you know, 24 hours a day. There, you, you weren't uh, victim to having to have a school teacher there and having the limits of what you can shoot with a kid. Yeah, that's true. The first movie, I actually wonder, is it the first movie that has this kind of setting, like, you know, where uh, it's a big group of whoever was popular at that time? Is High School USA the first of this kind of mini genre? You're Beth Franklin, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't see you. Oh, no, I, I did that on purpose. Keep out the undesirables. The price will be $100 per couple. 150 if you want to sit at my table. I believe all credit cards are accepted. Am I correct, Anne-Marie? Uh, major credit cards. Yeah, he's a nice guy. What was I supposed to do, hang up on him? JJ and I'll straighten this whole thing out. A week from today before the fall dance, a race. Me against you, one-on-one. -on -one. You're going to use my dad's car. High School USA. 
it sort of is. It's it's sort of the biggest one of that genre for TV. It's 1983, but before that, they kind of toyed with it a little bit. So like you got the one that comes to mind is called why am I forgetting the name? It's not Malibu Beach. It stars Suzanne Summers, and it is called forgetting is it the Sizzle name. Sizzle Beach. Of it. What's that? Zuma. Zuma it Beach. Si yeah. It's called, oh, I was thinking of Sizzle Beach USA. I think that's what like Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner is that. Movie. Yeah. So, I'm Troma, completely wrong. Yeah. Troma picked that up later. It was that was and that was a teen exploitation movie. But I think ABC or NBC made a movie called Zuma Beach in 1978 or 1979 that starred Suzanne Somers when she was still on Three's Company. And it was kind of like a teen, you know, summer fun movie that had a lot of different actors from, from various shows. It was sort of the, um, the demo tape for something like High School USA. But I yeah. think, yeah, High School USA was probably the the first of this very short-lived genre. It only lasted about 10 years. This is during that era, though, where they would constantly gather, like, whoever was popular at that time and combine it with some people who were maybe past their prime. Right. You had that constantly on Love Boat, Fantasy Island. You know, you'd have, like, four or five guys per episode. And then we had Battle of the Network Stars. So right. this doesn't seem like, like it came out of nowhere. It seemed like a logical progression. Well, I think with Battle of the Network Stars, it was sort of waning. So by 19... 1983, Battle of the Network Stars had been around for, I think, 10 years at that point and was going to be over by 1988. And 1988 was really when you saw the most of these sort of teen movies where there was two, three, four of them a summer for about three years. So I think they were trying to find the next thing that wasn't just these competition shows. And for some reason, they decided it was these scripted movies. Did uh, Circus, was it Circus of the Network Stars, had that started yet? Yeah, Circus of the Stars started in 76, I think, was the first Circus of the Stars. And I think oh, the last... Than I thought. Yeah, I think the last one was 92 or 93. Yeah. You know, what's funny is if there's anybody to talk about the history of TV movies, television in general, uh, it had to be you. It had to, I had to come <laughs> to you to ask you, to, uh, who else would know this besides me? And everybody, if you are a huge fan of like 70s, 80s, 90s TV discussion, your podcast is just like ground zero for that that whole information. Like, uh, and tell, them, tell the kids the name of your podcast. It's called TV Guidance Counselor. Uh, uh, so the premise being that I own more or less every TV guide until about the year 2000. The, the joke I always make is that I don't care about anything made after the year 2000, including people. Don't like those teenagers. And... Uh, someone picks an old edition of TV Guide, they, they go through and write down what they'd watch that week in history, and then we talk about their choices. Sometimes I just have people who are on various things when we were growing up, and we kind of have more of a straight interview, but that's that's sort of the premise of the show at its core. Yeah, and a few of the people who are going to be in these movies that we're discussing have been on your show. It's true, it's true, which is, uh, and we've discussed some of these uh, on the show, which, uh, which is pretty exciting, because these were a big deal, because in the summer, you, you didn't get new content. It was always reruns, and this was was sort of the big deal new content you got so where you know five of your favorite sitcoms were in reruns you would get one tv movie that starred everyone from those five sitcoms which was pretty exciting for you know a five-year-old yeah and then they had the burn-off pilots which i still wish they'd let you vote true just let you vote on it like the way they with amazon because they would show stuff like never again they actually did do that where they let you vote for they tried it a couple times there was one where the uh, tim reed and his wife daphne hosted a summer series that was called cbs summer playhouse and they would show two pilots and then people would call in and vote on which one they liked. The sort of behind the scenes of it was they weren't going to pick up any of them, but you got the illusion of calling in and voting for the one you liked at least. I think that was 89. Did any of them get picked up? None of them, no. And there's some there's oh. some interesting ones. There was one that took place in like a fictionized version of the Henson Workshop. There was the Ed Bagley Jr. show <laughs> where he was like a kid's, oh. hosted a kid's show. There was some weird stuff. Yeah, I feel like I've seen some of this stuff 
I feel like who is it that's in Beetlejuice as the dad? Uh, red hair. He's in Who's Harry? Crumb oh yeah, he's and, uh, uh, he's uh, stay tuned. Uh, Jeffrey Jones. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones. Right. So Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I feel like I saw a pilot. The people next maybe door. Maybe it wasn't a pilot. Maybe the people next door. Was it the one where he was like an animator yes. or a cartoonist or something? Yeah, like that? that was produced by Wes Craven. And it was a sitcom called The People. What? Yeah, it was. Wes Craven was producing a lot of TV. And actually, Wes Craven in the 80s, sort of Between the Hills Have Eyes and Nightmare on Elm Street, did a ton of made for TV movies. He made one called uh, Invitation to Hell, which starred Spencer for Hire himself, who built a fireproof suit to actually go into hell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That doesn't even... Oh, yeah. what? It's uh, fantastic. <laughs> I highly recommend Invitation to Hell. Uh, yeah, he made a ton of made-for-TV movies, and so he was producing a lot of TV around the time Shocker kind of failed. So he did a show called Nightmare Cafe that was sort of a comedy... I remember yeah, that one. That was great. Uh, ...fantasy show that was sort of after Twin Peaks, and he did this, this sitcom called The People Next Door, and the premise of it was Jeffrey Jones was sort of like a um, Gary Larson-type, far-side-type cartoonist who actually had the ability to make his creations come to life and so they tried to have sort of like an Adams Family Munsters-y type thing. It only lasted about four episodes. It was not a good show. Uh, I just have weird fond memories of that. It was interesting. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, High School USA also spawned. Was it a short-lived series or was it only a- another movie? It was only another movie so as best I could tell. So 1983 was High School USA. They had never intended that to be a series. They they just wanted it to be a one-off movie. And then in 1984 they decided they were going to do a High School USA series so they made a two-hour pilot uh, and aired it as a movie and then never picked up the show. So really, they remade it essentially the next year with a mostly different cast. You still had Crispin Glover was in both. You had Bob Denver in both. They doubled down on the sort of stars of 50s and 60s shows on the newer one. So there was more people from those sorts of things. Crystal Bernard was in it, which was very weird. John Grease was in it, who people know as uh, Uncle Rico. And uh, Laszlo. Yeah. You had Ricky Nelson. Julie Newmar was in it. A lot of Leave it to Beaver people. So like Jerry Mathers was in it. Uh, Joanne Willett was in it, who's been on my show. It was, I think, the first thing she ever did. It's funny. It seems like a no-brainer to, you know, have the kids come in for, you know, teenagers to watch the movie. And then you have the parents who enjoy, like, the older stars. People they hadn't seen probably in, like, 10 years, you know. And uh, there's a lot of nostalgia involved with it. But it's actually, it's it's not a great movie by any means, but it's entertaining. Yeah. There's some stuff that makes no sense to me. That that robot that Todd Bridges builds, he says it's for NASA. Did I hear that yes. right? Yeah. <laughs> there's no way that's for NASA. Not, not even a chance. No, and when you watch the sort of remake one from the next year, they drop the robot thing. <laughs> they, they drop the robot. Well, yeah, he's not in the sequel. No, is he? and that robot subplot is not in there. But they have like Burt Ward. Is it, there, There's definitely more sort of stars of 50s and 60s shows in the newer one, which is interesting. Dick York is in it. I think the thing they missed was they were also trying to capitalize on sort of the John Hughes phenomenon. So that, you know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, all the John Hughes stuff was like 83, 84, 85. It was these old men, basically, who worked at sitcoms, and they didn't get how the drama aspect should work. So they have these really silly sitcom type stuff, and then they tried to do some more serious stuff mixed in, and the tones just don't work. Yeah. Also, comedy had changed. It started to evolve in the late 70s, you know, with Saturn Live changing everything, and, you know, if you want a good version of this kind of uh, setup, go with Square Pegs. Square Pegs, Square Pegs, Square Pegs. Yeah. 
and that didn't work. People hated it, you know? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. Now it's appreciated, but it was just so far ahead of its time. Yeah, and even that, you know, they, they threw a laugh track on it and the more dramatic scenes, like there's the two-part Christmas episode with the divorce and all this stuff, they, those they really pushed to, to have cut out of the show. They wanted sort of a wacky, Ugh, happy days, you know? And uh, Yeah, the only problem I really have with the show besides the laugh track is that incessant need to repeat lines over and over. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, they wanted catchphrases. I mean, they, they wanted a new A, and sit on it and all that kind of <laughs> stuff because they realized in the 70s that that stuff you know sold board games and and t-shirts and and it was a different time it didn't quite work that way anymore yeah it's just it's strange it's not like i said it's not a time waster it actually has some interesting aspects to it uh this the second one i swear 50 percent of that second movie is the opening credits yeah it just goes on and on you're like my god how many people are in the song and the song is uh, like the same chorus over and over and over <laughs> Yeah, it's like that. Uh, it's like the beginning of Spaceballs when the ship is just just keeps going and going and going. But this time they're not doing it on purpose for comedic reasons. And then two years later, they decided to bring back Nancy McKeon and Michael J. Fox for Poison Ivy. Are you ready for summer camp? Welcome to Pinewood. Your days will be filled with water sports, nature appreciation. The Great Outdoors. Parents dream. And it's your chance to discover... Who is that? The camp that separates the men from the boys. This will be the most memorable, rewarding summer of our lives. Robert Klein's in charge. So Michael J. Fox and Nancy McKeon are in Poison Ivy, next on Channel 7. Which is infinitely a better yes. movie. Still really low budget, but you know, this TV movie, they're they're just much lower budgets. And they were then. dating at this time. They were a couple, and that was pretty well known. It was uh, in a lot of the I don't want to say the tabloids, but they were they were sort of a high profile couple. So they really were trying to exploit that. I think in this movie, and it was a camp movie, which made sense. It was a summer movie, and it's at camp. And camp movies had started again. They were a couple years behind. I think Poison Ivy was eighty five, and you know, Meatballs was like eighty two or 83 and a lot of that the, the camp cycle of movies was a couple of years before that so they were a little bit behind but it was a good movie and you had Robert Klein in it again they have sort of an, someone from the, the previous generation in the movie to appeal to some of the parents and a lot of people who have never seen in anything else after Poison Ivy probably the only uh, <laughs> oh no I saw him in a Sharknado movie and I'm yes, like what yeah, why are you here yeah. oh yeah and then, I mean like Adam Baldwin's probably the, the fourth build biggest name in that movie I think maybe and he had just come off of um, my, not my tutor my bodyguard he had just come off my bodyguard which was kind of a yeah and dc cab i think he's yeah, in that yeah. one too it's a decent movie i do feel like i never really experienced camp having never gone and i thought it would be if there was a camp movie that i wanted camp to be the most like i would probably go with this movie this or meatballs too just because i'd like to meet an alien and, and it seemed pretty fun <laughs> but uh yeah. all the other ones were you know people being murdered or were just far too sexually explicit so you know i think if i was gonna go to camp poison ivy's probably the one that I would that would imprint on. Well, I think it's funny is that most camp movies tend to ignore the actual children. It's always like right before camp and then everybody gets killed or everybody's having sex 
there, or both. And that's one of the few movies that actually has the, the children there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, well, when kids watch a movie, they generally want to look up to people. So they want to watch teenagers doing adult things because kids always want to be older than they are. So I think that mm-hmm. that's probably why they focus a little bit on that. Interestingly, the guy who wrote this movie, also, which we'll talk about later, also wrote Camp Cucamonga, which is almost the same movie <laughs> 10 years later, and then went on to write for every season of Saved by the Bell. So you start to see... No kidding. <laughs> yeah, you start to see the seeds of that kind of stuff in, in these movies, for sure. You're talking about how kids want to emulate people who are much older than them. Let's talk about Jerry. The character of Jerry yeah. is kind of a, a trend that actually continued through all these movies. The overly sexualized junior high kid, which oh, yeah. is disturbing in retrospect, but I clearly at that age, I think all 12-year-old, 13-year-old boys were like, oh, hello, what's this new part? You know what I mean? Yeah, oh yeah. And they're <laughs> it, the kids that don't understand it, what sex is, so they're the ones who come up with like all these weird theories and, and those weird, um, I don't know if this happened in your high school, but there was always talk of those bizarre sex moves that are not really things like, oh, you never gave a girl a poison ivy, it's when you do her and then she breaks out the rash or like whatever, you know, like those kind of things. <laughs> And they're clearly made up by people who don't understand mechanically how sex works or that people actually do it. And it's those 12-year-old Jerry's out there that are sort of coming up with those sorts of things. I remember this was seventh grade and I think my voice had just started cracking and I don't know why. And I still have nightmares of this. This older kid in my math class comes up to me. He's like, oh yeah, I see you're uh, you're hitting puberty, eh? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, you ever been in a circle jerk? And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And I still, to this day, have no idea why he asked me. In the middle of class in front of everybody and I was just like oh please erase this from yeah. my brain forever well, I assume he was trying to make you uncomfortable but there were a lot of kids like I you know there was just this weird phenomenon of like and I don't know if I don't think this was uh, unique to my school but there was a lot of kids who would like all go watch pornography together <laughs> That's with weird. Like, with like I've, blankets I've on their that. laps. Like, or like, I remember there was a kid who they'd all go over his house and they'd watch him like t- touch his dog. You know, was, I was like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> yeah, very creepy and weird. Like in hindsight as an adult, I realized, you know, maybe they were just like had this hormonal thing. They didn't really know what to do with it. And I, for whatever reason, didn't. But uh, yeah, that's a little strange. Yeah, that's bizarro. Yeah. <laughs> okay, change to the topic real yes. quick. I have been to camp once. Okay. I went to, it was called, uh, there's this group. I don't even know what they really even called them like Masonic Temple kind of okay. group called uh, Demolet. Demolet. Oh, the Moonies. Which was supposed to. <laughs> what? Was it the Moonies? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was called Demolay. Okay. And basically, you know, you're a troubled kid and you get uh, into this group and it's supposed to like steer you in the right direction. Okay. But what they didn't understand is if you get a room, 12 kids, all of them are dysfunctional and kind of screwed up right. or getting in trouble. Who's there to help guide them in the right direction? We were all just like ridiculous. I was actually one of the better ones. I think of some of those kids, I'm like, I'm sure you're in prison now. There's no reason why all of us should be together at all. So what you've basically <laughs> described is the plot of Ernest Goes to Camp. Ernest's camp meets maybe Sleepaway Camp 3. Okay. Unhappy campers, you know, where they had all those yeah, kids yeah. from, like, bad neighborhoods. What was your trouble? It was like that. Were you, like, starting fires and stuff? No, I just started skipping school. I stopped paying attention. Um, You know, I started smoking uh, and stuff like okay. that. And, you know, I just felt, you know, I was kind of lost. I had just moved to a new town. I went, I went from being a city kid to a redneck town. And all of a sudden, it's just, like, it turned into hell. Yeah. It just personal hell for me. And I just got completely lost. And um, so 
supposed to be part of this group, so we go for two weeks to this camp, and I remember just not wanting to do, like, seriously, 7 o'clock in the morning, we're going to do calisthenics? Right. All right, and then next is going to be Bible reading, and, you know, and stuff like that, and I'm like, look, Batman's on TV right now. I kind of want to watch it. Do I have to go outside? Okay, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've never been, like, a group think person like i've never been much of a joiner i, I didn't like team sports i just didn't i just never like doing that kind of stuff so yeah i totally identify with you on that one I'm, i think the only thing i did i went to dave cowan's fast break basketball camp which was like a two-week day camp and after the second day they asked me not to come back <laughs> why why did they say that i don't even remember i'm sure i just was miserable and just was not into it at all and would have rather been at home so i bet i was being just a little jerk I thought I was being the most antisocial, but there was this one kid, even though it was 100 degrees, wore a sweatshirt and jeans, never took a shower, uh, never participated in anything, and he just uh, spent his entire two weeks writing Alien 4. Oh, nice. And this is right when Alien 3... Alien 3 had just come out, and we're like, she's dead, man. That's stupid. They're never going to make another Alien movie. How wrong were we? Was it Joss Whedon? <laughs> was that who went, you went to camp uh, Oh, I... You know what? I don't know. I saw. <laughs> here's the weird thing is. Here's the weird thing. Four years later, I'm uh, starting my theater class. First day, and all of a sudden, this kid like sidles up next to me at like the most creepy possible way. Just hello. Right. And and I look over. I'm like, oh my god, I know you. Yeah. <laughs> How's your writing career going? <laughs> I, I wanted to ask him that, but he was too busy. Like the pale girl in front of me is like, "Hem, would you like to go out?" She's like, "I literally just looked at your face, and you were asking me out already. Right. We don't even know each right. other." Well, you gotta you gotta <laughs> put a lot of bait out there to catch a fish, you know. And, and those are my memories of camp. Yeah, that sounds probably like most people's memories. I mean, I know people who who loved going to camp so much they go back every year still as like thirty year old adults to either like teach a class or like you know do a talk or it's I it, it doesn't make sense to me, but you know, hey, there you go. Yeah, this camp in Poison Ivy must have been very very popular because if you notice, these people have traveled very long distances to go to this. Oh camp. yeah, oh yeah. It's crazy. Who? Don't, why are camps are tend to be kind of in your own state, or at least in the local region? These guys are like traveling from Indiana to Portland, Maine. Yeah, that would, although Maine is a big place to to go to these camps, I guess they would get a lot of international people. I know that. Like, I know a lot of people really? who grew up in Maine, which isn't too far from where I am, and they would be, um, you know, camp counselors or things in the summer. And a lot of the counselors would be from like England or Australia. <laughs> it was very strange. <laughs> They don't have camp in Australia? I guess not. Like, they don't want to just surf and have fun. They'd rather go to camp in Maine for some reason. That's weird. Very strange. You guys want to make wax candles? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to you wanna spray paint macaroni gold and glue it onto paper plates? Yeah. All right. So Poison Ivy is definitely better than High School USA. Also, incredibly hard to find if you actually want a physical copy of it. I believe it's VHS only. Oh, is it really? Um, but it's on YouTube. <laughs> I found most of these movies on YouTube. Good to know. Yeah, almost everything's on YouTube these days. The next movie is Dance Till Dawn. This is where that mini genre exploded. Yeah. All of a sudden, it just was this huge. Do you remember when it aired? Yes, I actually have a VHS copy of Taped Off TV the night that it aired. And I oh, actually have crazy. a re-air re tape as well. And I've, I've burned both of those to DVD with commercials and everything. It first aired in, uh, this was not a summer movie, weirdly. It aired really late initially, like almost Halloween 1988. Because I remember, huh. it was very strange. I remember the commercials were all for like horror movies and Halloween stuff. 
which again, it's clearly shot in the summer. It takes place at the prom, which is in May, usually. So, Aaron at Halloween sounds just about right. Yeah, so uh, weirdly it aired it aired in October that year, but then they re-aired it in the summer of 1989 for some reason. Because it's good? It's damn it good. It is good. It's so entertaining. It's probably the best of all these uh, movies, I think. It's not my favorite. My, my, my favorite's coming up soon, okay. but I almost think it's a cheat. But uh, Dance Till Dawn has one of these just epic, of-the-moment cast, yet if you look at it, almost every single one of those actors is still relevant today. Oh, yeah. They're very, there is a very good cast in that movie. The adults and the kids as well are both very, very good. You know what's very strange about this movie is... Um, Kelsey Grammer. Yeah, Kelsey Grammer in this movie plays the pharmacy, owns a pharmacy, and there's like a scene where the, the kid who's taking his daughter out goes to buy condoms. You know, you have to be 18 to buy these. No, you don't. Well, you have to be married. Fine. Then the missus would like some of the colored ones. And then he goes uh-huh. and picks her up later and realizes that guy's the dad. Mr. Strell, I'm a big fan of your pharmacy. I've been in there many times, sir. Yes, I remember. I also remember what you came in for. Well, we better be going, Angela. Um, Mr. Mr. Strell, nothing to worry about. I'll have her back uh, very early, say 6, 7 a.m., okay? <laughs> Ciao. That was me, young lady. You are not going anywhere with that punk. Literally, that exact scene is in the 1988 remake of The Blob, <laughs> which came out two months before this. Exactly what I was going to say. I was going to say it, too. I secretly wondered if the dad in The Blob worked at the same pharmacy as Kelsey yeah, Grammer. it's the same exact scene. It's almost word for word the same scene, and these two movies came out within months of each other. It's very, very weird. I was watching that sitting there going, is he going to say ribbed? Yeah. Is he going to say yeah. that? <laughs> it's so close. It's really strange. This one, though, I like... This movie... Oh, I was going to say, this one is, I think, so much better just because it, it seems to have more heart to it, and there's a little bit less wackiness. They seem to use the parents more as the comic relief, and the kids get more of the drama stuff, which mm-hmm. is always... Uh, yeah, this also just the perfect slice of the 80s right there. You just watch it going, this is a time capsule of that era, but the, the storyline isn't aged. It's still, no matter what, yeah, look, look beyond the costumes and the hair, it still makes a lot of sense to you know kids now yeah absolutely and and the guy who wrote this movie uh was named steve uh not cronenberg it's something similar to that but he had written for a ton of sitcoms before that mostly adult sitcoms like you were for nine to five and it's a living sort of workplace sitcoms but after this movie he was writing for head of the class and saved by the bell and herman's head and kind of shows that we're more in this genre and this vibe i think that shows in this movie yeah and this is the first movie to include cast members from the fox network right christina Applegate is in it, and Brian Bloom, I forget what show he was on at this time. I don't know if he was on any show. Uh, he just seemed like one of those guys that, I know he was in The Stuff, yep. uh, but he seemed like he was on every single, okay, I'm going to admit to something, people, here. I read Tiger Beat, I read Bob, I read all those teen magazines, because my sister would get them, and I'm like, uh, I had a horrible crush on Alyssa Milano. I'm who like, well, didn't? hello. Yeah, who didn't? Who was in this yes, movie? Yes, and uh, I would find myself just flipping through, you know, oh, there are contemporaries of mine. Yes, that's why I'm reading it. Right. Uh, I'm not fascinated with teenage stars my own age. You know, and just like Brian Bloom seemed like he was in every single issue, but I had no idea what he was from until I saw this. Yeah, uh, he was in a ton of these, and he's in Crash Course later as well. Uh, he did a lot of TV specials, like we, I think he was on a lot of like after school specials, but I don't think he was a regular on any of the sitcoms. He might have been on a soap or something, maybe, which is how girls knew him, but I, I really have no idea. But all girls knew him. He was uh, he was very yeah. popular with the ladies. But Chris Young, uh, Chris <laughs> Young, I think, was in Max Hedrum at this time, too, and he's sort of the star of Dan still done yeah you know that's it's a shame because the vhs copy doesn't even show him like i was like wait a minute he's the main cast member yeah. you know if, if you look at the central point it's him and Alyssa milano or 
are the the main oh, yeah. focus of the of the movie. Easily. Tempest Bledsoe's kind of like the nerdy friend and yeah, it's uh it's very strange cast. And Matthew Perry who was on a Fox show at this time, which is why he was in this. Yeah, okay, so I this is where I got confused. I looked this up and I swear that he was in a show called Second Chance right. with the dude from Hill Street Blues. Yep. And I swear halfway through the show changed and it focused just on the kids, you know, the one from Back to the Beach yeah. and I think one of them showed up on Who's the Boss? Did it become a different show? It did. It, they changed the name. That kid, the kid who was on Who's the Boss was also in the movie Night of the Demons. <laughs> he played Sal in that movie. But uh, yeah, they, uh, they yeah. sort of changed the central conceit of it uh, where it was like a guy uh, comes back in time to steer his younger self so that he can go to heaven. It was like a very complicated show. And then they kind of forgot all about that and it just became, I forget what the name was, but they did change the name the next season. Well, I think it's because, oh, it's Keel Martin. I'm pretty sure that's his name. Yeah. Keel Martin died yeah. during production. He had a heart attack and that's why they had to change the show. I want to say it was called Boys Will Be Boys. That sounds right to me. I think that's right. Yeah. And it wasn't like... Yeah, it was one of those things. I, I was obsessed with Fox during, like Fox was like the network that spoke to me. Oh, yeah. And I was so, it was so much fun seeing those guys like Christian Applegate and Matthew Perry show up in, in a NBC movie. It gave them like a legitimacy because this was a year into the Fox network. Yeah. And it was basically admitting that it was a real network. Yeah. And I have to say, uh, I so love Mary Fran. Mary Fran, who was in Newhart at this time, she was so so underrated and she's, I will watch her in anything and she also died. Uh, she's so good in this movie. She's She's gone? Yeah. She died of cancer in uh, the late 90s. Wow. She seems so young. Yeah. She was very young. I think she was only in her 40s. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Um, Not to bum you out, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking that moment in a little too long. <laughs> Everybody else is like, well, this is part of the episode where we just start crying. Yes. Also in the uh, movie is Edie McClure, yes. who was everywhere during this time. I bet you her agent was like, oh, 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 the money's rolling in. I mean, it feels like every time you turned around, she was there. Hogan family. Um, Small wonder. What's the robot Small one? Small wonder. Small wonder. Yep. Um, Planes, trains, I still, and automobiles. My sister will go. My sister, I'll still go. No, 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 oh, no. Yeah. yeah, she was, and she's a Second City person. She she sort of came up with Paul Rubens and was in the original stage production of the Pee Wee Herman show, and uh, basically just yeah had this little cottage industry of playing that character for about five years. Yeah. Oh, she was in Elvira too. Yep. I forgot. Right around the same time. As yep. This. That came out in '88 as well. Summer of '88. Now a lot of these guys return. I keep saying guys. I'm not being sexist or stupid. I just for some reason refer to every single person on the planet as guys. That makes sense. Um, um, the, uh, half the cast returns later for Crash Course. There is no trailer for Crash Course. Which must have been from the same production company because it happens so fast. It seemed like they almost came like within a few months of each it's other. It's the same year. And if you yeah. look, was it? Okay, yeah. So you have Alyssa Milano returning, Brian Bloom, Edie McClure. I feel like there's a couple other people that return. I actually think but... Crash Course aired before. Four, Dance Till Dawn. Oh, no, I'm going to have to edit this episode in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it aired earlier in 1988. I remember watching it in, like, the winter or the spring of 1988. I think oh, okay. it aired earlier. But I, I feel like it had to be shot after. I don't. I have no evidence that that is the case, but I feel like it was made after. I don't know why. <laughs> this one, I don't think works as well as it wants to. It's still entertaining, yeah. but I keep feeling the tone keeps shifting like crazy, and uh, Charlie Robinson is doing his best, and it's great that he's cast as the lead and so you know with Jack A yeah. but I kept feeling like the director didn't know what to do with him and he was just like okay you gotta pick a direction with my character yeah I think this one has a much better cast than Dance Till Dawn well I would say better but people that 
that I enjoy more. Like, you got Harvey Corman, Jack Hay, who I love in everything. Brian Bloom returning, as always. Alyssa Milano's in this one as well. But you got Rob Stone, who was in Mr. Belvedere, Tina Yothers. Olivia Dabo, who's fantastic in this, playing, like, a weird Spanish character. Uh, who I'm convinced is a Highlander, because I saw a picture with you and her, and yeah. I'm like, she looks the same age. Oh, yeah. She looks amazing. Like, she has not aged at all. In fact, I think she may even look better now somehow. She she may be decapitating people for their quick <laughs> <laughs> you may be correct. Uh, but she's very funny in this. It, it's a really fun, uh, funny movie, but it's it's missing the um, the sort of heart of Dance Till Dawn. It doesn't have that sort of dramedy aspect. It's yeah, it's much true. it's much goofier. And this one was written by the same guy that wrote Zuma Beach, which is huh. very strange. And you have Ray Walston in this, who was in High School USA. Ray Walston is fantastic in everything, and also yeah. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, yeah. So they really are kind of all drawing from this same pool for whatever reason. I bet you the first time that they were doing the casting for this they tried to go to chris young for the rob stone role it Probably. seems like they were yeah and then rob stone was available like all right who was i swear was like 28 when uh he was casting this and you're like oh he doesn't look it but wow that's a lot older than everybody else oh yeah i'm sure and rob stone was um was roommates at this time with comedian doug benson they really were, wow yeah they were roommates and, and doug used to go to tapings of mr belvedere all the time because he was he was living with rob stone <laughs> i have this weird memory of rob stone being involved with like the hip-hop world i swear he's in a kid and play video or something similar to that ah he might be i i have no memory of that but you very well may be correct i'm not totally sure about that one um but yeah he he's pretty good in this movie playing a very nerdy character it's it's just not for whatever reason you know what i think it is too license to drive came out the same year as this and is yeah. such a better movie and almost a very, very similar kind of story. And it's, I'd seen them around the same time and I just, it wasn't licensed to drive and that's what I wanted. I had this weird habit of getting the book adaptations of movies because oh, yeah. I couldn't get to the, I couldn't get to the movies. So I would get the books and read them and then I saw License to Drive and I'm like, where's the tequila scene? That's the best part of the book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because they were, Scholastic would put out a lot of those and to get them out at the same time as the movie the people they'd hire they'd have to write them from the script and a lot of times by the time the movie came out they had cut stuff out so you that were the original deleted scenes uh before we had dvds and laser discs were all in those scholastic book adaptations my favorite yeah one, and i, oh, I think it's on the dvd actually i think oh, that is scene really? is actually on the deleted scenes or whatever you can finally see it but you're go ahead i interrupted you oh no no problem i was gonna say my favorite uh book adaptation is uh, i remember when i was a kid they had a scholastic and the little scholastic book club you know flyer you, you could order an adaptation of bram stoker's Dragon. It wasn't How different. Wait, that's weird. Wait, yeah. it's it's an adaptation of a movie about an adaptation. Okay, hold on. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think a wormhole just opened up. It was not the book Dracula. It was an adaptation of the movie Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, that's confusing. Yeah, very <laughs> much so, especially for children. Yeah, that's weird. License to Drive definitely worth watching, but Crash Course is okay. I think it's the weakest of all the movies. Yeah, and it has that infamous "We Be Driving" rap song that I think. Oh my god! I can't believe I almost forgot to mention that. That yeah. was awful. So the class is over and we're all still alive. We'll be cruising down the highway, but not more than 55. Miss Vanessa be a senior child, be moving to a dorm. But you'll visit him and kiss at him. He ain't a geek no more. And JJ's going to Michigan State to be a football hero. We can hardly wait. Make us proud, Dr. JJ. We will watch you on TV. Scoring touchdowns or saying to be or not to be. We be diving. No more bus stops in the dark. We be driving. We can parallel park. We be driving. Watch out, world, here we come. We be driving. 
That might be the hip-hop connection you're thinking of with Rob Stone. <laughs> that, that's why I was going to say that. I was going to bring it back to that, and I forgot. Yeah. Um, B.D. Wong is rapping through the entire movie. Yeah, he plays a hip... And that's the big joke, is that he's not black, he's Asian, but he's acting black. Isn't that funny? Uh, it doesn't, doesn't quite work. You know, I think the other thing that I, that I love about Dance Till Dawn is I am an absolute sucker for movies that take place over the course of one night. Yes. And that movie is perfect for that. There's there's another made-for-TV movie that we didn't cover here that sort of falls into this genre a little bit, but it's not a, it's not a straight-up comedy, and it's 1985's The Midnight Hour. Eternity is about to play a nasty little trick. Who's that? On the carefree kids of Pitchboard Cove. Figure out what you're going to wear to the party yet tonight. Demons arise. Come heed my bidding on this night of nights. Halloween, my favorite time of year. Ah! I'm not afraid of death. I'm going for it. The party could go on forever in the midnight hour which I did for my Halloween special on my show last year. And that also takes place all in one night and featured sort of an all-star cast of teen actors, but is more in the Mr. Boogity genre. But yeah, I think that that Crash Course takes place, it's it's very sitcom-y. And Dance Till Dawn, because it takes place in that one night, it feels the most like a real movie out of any of these. It I looks think. like it too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the uh, I was going to mention Midnight Hour. I kept hemming and hawing about it. And I'm like, uh, no, it doesn't work. Oh, it almost works. <laughs> yeah, it very nearly works, but but not quite. Well, it was funny because the, the made-for-TV movie was almost exclusively for dramas, and it was almost always those sort of like ripped from the headlines. She murdered her husband, like those kind of movies, or like I know my first name is Steven, or 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 a detective thing, you know. And so it was very, very unusual to see these kinds of things that were com- comedic and aimed at teenagers. And I think the Midnight Hour kind of straddled that a little more on the, and, and, and kind of veered a little less into the, this genre. Yeah, I, you know, every Halloween we do this, uh, we, we get a handful of guests for like a month, and they do their uh, Halloween suggestions, like their top ten suggestions to the audience. Yeah. Maybe if we ever have to do one of those, then we can discuss Midnight Hour. <laughs> oh, yes, please do. I would be more than happy to come up with some Halloween suggestions. That's my favorite <laughs> month for television. So this is during the era where hip-hop was just, like, really breaking through to the mainstream. Everybody was rapping. Dogs are rapping. Kids are rapping. Grandparents are rapping. It wasn't being so much respected, but it was getting its attention out there. And it shows up more. It's a crucial part to two of these movies on this list. Yeah. And it's it's not very good in this one. It's actually kind of annoying. It is. This was, this was I think, the worst of it. You had, uh, you had Yo! MTV Raps that just sort of started as well, which was huge. And actually, Dennis Leary, I think, in one of those... Big 
bits where he's talking in those MTV sort of um, interstitials where he's talking about rapping was filmed by Ted Demi, who then created Yo MTV Raps that year, which is kind of <laughs> odd. They went to Emerson together, I think. But uh, yeah, you had rapping Ronnie with that uh, that impressionist doing Ron Reagan rapping. You had rapping Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield's rap album. Uh, Dee Dee Ramone put out that rap album under the name Dee Dee King, which is one of the worst things I've ever heard in my life. I've yeah. never even heard of that. Wow. Oh god, if you're a Ramones <laughs> fan, check out the Dee Dee King rap album. It's uh, it's a wonderful mess. Alarm clock ringing, it's time to get up. It's time to do that funky strut. I'm a funky man, I got funky bones. I'm a funky man, my name is Dee Dee Ramone. That uh, everyone should listen to at least once in their lives. But yeah, you also had stuff like you'd get a Sugar Bear commercial, you know, for Golden Crisp, and he'd be rapping. Oh, it's just, it was it was bad. It were, they were dark times. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like, you know, 92 rolls around, Gangster Rap comes out, and it's like, oh, well, it's not funny anymore. No one really wants to do it. Yeah. And I, you know, I feel kind of bad. Like, I don't I, I don't, I don't, like Gangster Rap. I think it kind of ruined hip-hop. Um, it certainly there did. There were some I, clowns. I mean, you know, Vanilla Ice and MC Hammer kind of uh, made it like a cartoon, literally, even figuratively, uh, with Hammerman. Yeah. But then you had guys like Tribe Called Quest and um, yeah, De La they, um, Soul. Yes, you know, guys bringing hip hop and making it intelligent. That that country town that I lived in. Uh, let's just say there was a day that I bought a Public Enemy shirt and a Third Base shirt and wore them to uh, school. Nice. I that did not go well. I got a lot of beatings. Pop Goes the Weasel is uh, fantastic. Do you, do you remember who plays Vanilla Ice in the Pop Goes the Weasel video by Third Base? Uh, I want to say Henry Rollins. Yeah, like it's something Hen- ridiculous. It's yeah. Henry Rollins. Yeah, yeah. Which is uh, which is pretty exciting. Uh, I think that. This era, it, the rap in this era, is best summed up by the Yogi Bear show, Yo Yogi. Yo Yogi, let's go. If you remember that at all, what? It was a hip hop <laughs> reinvention of Yogi Bear called Yo Yogi, and it is oh awful. That's terrible. You know, yeah. eventually we're gonna have to discuss that on Back in Tunes. Yeah, we're discussing every single piece of animation ever made, and I'm like, eh, I don't want to discuss Rainbow Bright, but I definitely now that that has been added to that list of do I really have to? Yeah, Yo Yogi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the one thing I will say that is good about this it is fast-paced. Uh, yeah. The cast is adequate. That accent, if I did not know who Olivia Dabo was, how do you say her name? Dabo. Dabo? Diabo? Yeah. Dabo, okay. yep. Adabo. If I didn't know, you know, like from Conan the, the Destroyer and stuff like that beforehand, I would have assumed that she was from Spain. Yeah, she's played a bunch of, uh, of uh, Hispanic and Spanish parts over the years. She, she's amazing with accents. Like, the way that she could just go in and out of accents, she has such an ear for it. She, yeah, she's very convinced. As a, someone from Spain, this baby. Every single one of my accents descends into German. This Nazi Germany. I yeah. don't know why. It's ridiculous. All of mine are just Boston accent. No matter what it <laughs> is, an, that's where it it's goes. It's a good one to do. Everybody knows that accent. It's true, but not when you're trying to do like someone from England or you know yeah, any other true. accent that's not a Boston accent. All right. So our next movie. Now I don't know if I'm cheating with this movie because it's not a huge cast. Dream Date, which is my yeah. favorite of the movies. It only has Tempest Bledsoe. Uh, has Polly Shore and uh, Joanne Willett returns, yes, right? Yes, yes, yep. She's in this as well. Uh, it's Polly Shore's, I believe, his first role. And I heard a story. I won't tell you who told me this story, but you can probably okay. guess uh, that Anson Williams directed this movie, and he was Potsy in Happy Days. And right. Polly Shore was being a real dick on set, which is not surprising given his uh, reputation. And they shot these movies very quickly. They were basically low-budget movies. They had to shoot in like a, a week. And so Polly Shore wanted to do all. You know, he wanted to ad lib and do all these scenes. And Anson Williams said to him, you know, basically, uh, you know, I'm sure that would be great. You know, thank you for for coming up with that. 
that, but unfortunately we really don't have time to shoot all these sorts of things. We kind of have to stick to the schedule because we have a limited amount of time. And uh, Polly Shore said, oh, sorry, Potsy. So, oh. Yeah, so Anson Williams grabbed him by the throat, and you may want to bleep this, said, don't you ever fucking call me Potsy. And then punched him in the face and knocked him out. Holy shit, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so insulting too. Your first job and you you decide to insult the director? Seriously. Well, I mean, he was a dickhead because his mom owned the comedy store. So he was used to running around there and having all the comics be terrified that he'd tell his mom on them or, you know, say something, you know, they would kiss his ass because they wanted to work at the comedy store. So I think he had that kind of attitude and carried it over onto that set and it, it clearly didn't end well for him. No kidding, that's ridiculous. Yeah, but you have Richard Mall is in this movie too, which is which is oh, fun. Fantastic cameo. This movie is different than the rest of them because there is a weird, demented quality to it. Yeah, it's almost like that movie After Hours in some points in a weird way. Very much so. Yeah, that's uh, this and Dance Till Dawn would probably be the perfect combo, and then Camp Cucamonga with Poison Ivy. Yeah, this is basically about a dad who doesn't want to deal with his daughter, you know, having a dating life, and you know he has a date at the same time, and watching the two interact. Yes, it's very much like a. a screwball comedy yeah if you set this all on a stage in the 1930s it wouldn't seem out of place yeah and this one also yeah has a different vibe because they didn't shoot it in los angeles they shot it in austin texas for some reason i think that makes it feel less sitcom-y like inherently because it just has like a different just a different vibe altogether than a lot of the other movies as well yeah and the pace is so fast dance till dawn looks the most cinematic the way it's shot looks amazing right but dream date you could you could have put this in theaters oh easily yeah and, and i think it's the only movie that we got of this series where you had black actors in the lead which took us till 1989 yeah. you know and kadeem hardison is really funny in it it's an underrated movie i i do agree this this could have easily been in theaters in 1989 and probably done well Actually, Dream Date would have paired up really well with the She's Out of Control. Yes, I was just thinking that myself. Mystery Date's also a good movie from 92 that has B.D. Wong in it, not rapping, and Ethan Hawke. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. No more rapping. Yeah, no more rapping, <laughs> B.D. Wong. Uh, now, Clifton Davis, is he from Amen? Yeah, he is played the son. I think he played, not the son on Amen. He was, but like, yeah, he was like in charge of the church. He's so good in this. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what, I, I don't think he really did much after this, but he's amazing. And I, I, I feel like he should have done a lot of work because his timing for this kind of comedy is top notch. Oh yeah. That like barely contained rage kind of thing he had. Yeah. He was really, really funny in this show. And I don't know, he he's acted a lot since then, but I don't think he's been a regular in anything or done a lot of other sitcoms. He did a lot of nineties, like WB type sitcoms for a while. And I think he had a oh, reoccurring okay. role on, um, the one with LL Cool J um, in the house. But, uh, you know, I don't think he's done anything else that's reoccurring. I think he's just done kind of guest star roles after that. And then we have Anne-Marie Johnson, who I think I had just seen in I'm Gonna Get You Sucka yeah. right before this. Yep, and she was in Hollywood Shuffle. She played a Jamaican on um, the second season of Double Trouble, my, my favorite season of Double Trouble. And she's really, really funny in, in this as well. She's another actress that uh, that really, I think, should have been in more stuff. Yeah, you know what? I forgot. She was in a TV show. I think it was What's Happening Now, the sequel series yes. to What's Happening. Yeah, with Martin Lawrence yeah. was in that too. I don't I don't know what Double Trouble is though. What is that? So Double Trouble starred the Seagal twins, who is Katie Seagal from Married with Children, has two twin sisters. And No kidding. Yeah, they, they did a show called Double Trouble. The first season took place in Ohio and it was them and their widowed dad and it was a pretty standard sitcom. But for the second season, they moved them to New York City with their aunt who wrote children's books 
and it's the most 80s fantastic 80s show it's so fun and weird and one of them is going to fashion school and her and Anne Marie Johnson is her friend in the school but uh, there's an episode where one of them goes and does stand up and Mindy Cohen uh, is a guest star as her friend who wants to do stand up and uh, it's an interesting show it was only one season sadly but I, I loved that show when you said Seagal twins, I thought some sort of martial arts science experiment went wrong. And I was like, right. oh, no, one is enough. Yeah, Steven Seagal's twins. That's what he calls his fists. <laughs> oh, he would call yeah. They're more powerful than anything on the planet. Yeah. The- you know, if Donald Trump hadn't chose Mike Pence, Steven Seagal would have been the perfect. Well, like, <laughs> if God forbid he wins, Steven Seagal could be like his home secretary or something. Um, <laughs> I, you know what really confused me about the show Double Trouble is that the two twins' names, the, the, the character names are Kate and Allie. And it started in 85, oh. which is the same year as Kate and Allie. And I would get very confused about what show people were talking about for that one year. That is crazy. I didn't know. I for some reason I thought Kate and Allie was a lot older than that. Yeah, I think huh. it started in 85, I think was the first season of Kate and Allie, but I might be wrong. You know, most of these movies that we've discussed have covered pretty much at least one cast member of every significant, like, teen show of the time. Oh, yeah. But not of Kate and Allie or 21 Jump Street. No, I mean, 21 Jump Street, I think those actors took themselves very seriously. Although you did get Peter DeLuise in Midnight Hour. Uh, he's kind of the villain That's in true. that movie. But I think those shows took themselves very seriously. And uh, Kate and Allie, those kids, that show was shot in New York. So it was unusual. Uh, Cosby Show and Kate and Allie were both shot in New York and everything else was shot in L.A. And I think the Cosby Show was such a huge show that they were, you know, they could get Tempest Bledsoe uh, and fly her out to L.A. But I think Kate and Allie, they, they were probably like, oh, those kids are in New York. We, we want kids that are in uh, L.A. It's going to be a lot easier. A lot cheaper to get them out there. And they probably shot these just on breaks. You know, yeah. spring break, you know, you have hiatus for three weeks. We got to shoot this movie. The other thing is, too, that I think Allison Smith, who was on Kate Nally, she did a lot of Broadway. She was, I think, uh, one of the original Annie's on Broadway. So I think in the summers on break, she may have done been doing like musical theater stuff as well. Yeah, that, that would make a lot more sense. Because I was wondering, because there's only like a couple shows here and there. Because even Give Me a Break, didn't one of the daughters, wasn't she in High School USA? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I th- uh, yeah. I think we pretty much covered every single teen show of this era. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was like, we have you, and that- we have you under contract. You have to do this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they're like, well, hmm, do I like money? Yeah, sure, I'll take it. Yeah. No, they literally, to- like, having talked to some of the people that are in these shows, they literally were like, you you don't have a choice. You're in this in this movie. Oh, that's We own your contract. Uh, yeah. Wow. So that brings us to our last movie of this, like, genre. I'm assuming Camp Cucamonga is pretty much the last of this era, right? It's the last one I know of. I mean, there may have been some others, or, you know, there may be some that were done, like, by the Disney Channel or Nickelodeon or something. But, yeah, 1990, I think this was the last one. Yeah, because after this, it just seemed like, for the next decade, it was 90210 kind of, like, these dramas. You know, oh, a murderous boyfriend. Right. Oh, can I sleep with danger? You know, that kind of stuff ruled TV and it was so depressing yeah and I think that the comedic sitcoms with children got younger they were less teens and that's really when we started seeing that tween stuff uh, but yet, yeah. but teenagers, they went more drama. They went drugs and drunk driving and uh, sexual assaults and that kind of stuff. So I, I think that the tone of these kinds of movies uh, was was outlived at that point. So it had a good run, you know, maybe six years. 
of these, but... Which is weird that Camp Kugamanga, being the last of them, would go back to a concept that was already old at the time they made Poison Ivy, and they did it again. You're like, whoa, alright, I guess maybe from a retro standpoint, but I guess every kid has gone to camp, or at least knows what camp is, so it's more of a timeless kind of thing. Yeah, and they aired it in the summer, so they were like, you know, this'll this will work with what's airing in the summer, but I think also it, it stems from the fact that, and I'd have to check this out, but I'm fairly certain the guy that wrote this movie also wrote Poison Ivy. And I wonder if Poison Ivy was intended to be like an ongoing series, and so they just dusted off a bunch of stuff he wrote for that and made Camp Kukumoka. Yeah, you know what's funny is I've seen this movie uh, so many times. I've seen L.A. Confidential, the greatest movie ever made, in my opinion, yep. twice. Yeah. I have seen Camp Cucamonga 15, 20 times. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. Oh, why wouldn't you? First of all, they aired it a lot. They re-aired it several times, and then it was on Disney Channel nonstop. Like, I feel like in the 90s, this was on once a week on the Disney Channel, or like ABC Family, or one of those cable channels aired Camp Cucamonga so much. And this was really at the height of TGIF. And so they, they managed to get like Julia White and Candace Cameron in it. And so I think that uh, for kids that age who are really into TGIF, this movie really hit that sweet spot. Yeah, the nostalgia I have for this movie, like the second it started up, I watched it. I was like, oh, that takes me back. Like 1990, I became like the cool one in the family because I always found the good shows and the good movies and stuff like right. that. I started being like the curator of stuff. I was like, all right, here, let's check out Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And they're like, oh, we love this. And I'm like, all right, now here's Parker Lewis. And then I'm like looking at Hall High and Ferris Bueller, like, no, yeah. this isn't worthy. Right. <laughs> yeah, you would be the tastemaker. I mean, this is my sort of absolute sweet spot for, for televisions, 88 to 92, when I was 8 to 12 years old. That was the key, and this is dead in the center of that. And you have, what, two cast members from Wonder Years, which I was a huge, huge fan of at this time, and, and, and a Cheers cast member, which was strange for a Cheers person to be in one of these kind of movies. Yeah, this this was uh, this one was a big deal, but it kind of isn't that good. No, it's it's so formula. I yeah. mean, you can read every, as, as an adult, you can see everything coming ahead. You're like, oh yeah, this is the point where uh, okay, we're good. You know, but when you're 13, when I saw this, I was all fresh to me. I think I'd only ever seen the first Meatballs, right? And you know, of course, it has the misfit kids, you know, and the the snooty kids, the nerd. Okay, Max Plotnik is the nerdiest character in history, and the movie makes me cringe every time he's on scene. Yeah, I'm sure that what's his name Josh Saviano yeah. from, I'm sure in real life he's not like this but you watch him do things like during that rap sequence where he's dancing you're like sweet shit they caught this on film oh, yeah. you know this yeah these poor teenagers had their worst moments captured up. it was like they watched the Wonder Years and they were like you know I think that he's not nerdy enough let's make him so much nerdier it, it, it reminds me of me yeah that's the other thing that's why I cringe like oh shit I did that too I was just like that oh my god you know what the most shocking thing about this movie is to me though three words the dirtiness no well the dirtiness i expected around 1990 fox had been around for three years by this point but uh the three words the inclusion of g gordon liddy yes oh my god what is that about well, didn't he go to prison oh yeah why is this guy in a kids movie yeah g gordon liddy there's really strong evidence that he actually killed people in the 70s oh my on god behalf of the u.s government like this guy is not a good guy and when he got out of jail for watergate he started acting he was in the new adventures of beans baxter on fox and uh you know i know yeah this was not a good What's guy that? Well, there's a there's a tv show super force that's it yeah. super force i watched in that that kind of stuff i get why he's in he, he it's, a, it's a cheap low-budget syndicated tv show aimed at teenagers and adults i 
I get why they cast him in that. But then he would show up in family-friendly stuff. Yeah. That is bizarre. That's like O.J. Simpson showing up and like, hey, the next episode of uh, My Name is Earl, you know, or According to Jim. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. And he would be in a lot of comedies, which is very strange. I, yeah, I don't understand it. It's, uh, G. Gordon Liddy is not a good guy. Like, he was in Miami Vice, which made sense. I think that might have been the first thing he was in after he kind of got out of prison. But some of the stuff he showed up in, uh, yeah, very, very strange. Very strange. The VHS of Camp Cucamonga literally has a sticker on it. Bright yellow, special guest appearance by G. Gordon Liddy. When it's clearly aimed at people who are, like, 8 to 12. And, uh, that, that's a selling point? Yeah, it's, who, like, the people that would like G. Gordon Liddy were the people who would vote for Trump now. They're not going to watch Camp Cucamonga. That is a very odd selling point. Very odd. It's, it's, <laughs> what was the casting like? All right, we got Sherman Hemsley. He's amazing. Actually, he is. He's actually pretty yeah, good in this he movie. is good in this movie. You know, and then they have John Ratzenberger. I can't remember the lady from Mama's Family. You know, all competent, real actors. Yeah. You know, with real careers. And the other adult we're going to add to this is G. Gordon Liddy. You had to see the rest of them going, oh, seriously, what? Yeah, he was the guy that busted Timothy Leary in the 60s. When he was an FBI agent, mm. he he busted Timothy Leary for LSD. Oh. He was like the he was everything the '60s hated in one man's body. And uh, and let's bring him back for a kids movie. Yeah, let's put him in a kids camp movie. This government spook who like you know was in wet works divisions. There is some shady stuff that guy did, and and let's make him as a as a comedy thing opposite Jaleel White. Oh, by the way, the hip hop scene, Kuka Manga. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is where Andrew's gonna like put in the little loop because I can't sing. Right. <laughs> People look at me, they always get jealous. Some people say that I'm uncouth, but everybody knows that I tell the truth. I get curious, even furious. When people put us down, I can get injurious. So don't talk trash about our camp, because I'm here to tell you that it's the champ. Cucamonga! Oh yeah! Like swimming, it's perfect for them, makes them feel like they're winning. And there's no doubt this place is the one, cause he's just a dude who likes to have fun. We got baseball, football, basketball, the counselor teaches, so it's fun for one and all. Everybody knows that his name is Troy, and when it comes to winning trophies, he's your boy. Cucamonga! Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, well, they couldn't either. But seriously, I but it's good. It's so catchy. It's ridiculous how catchy it is. But who has that kind of technology at a camp to make that video? Well, they have nerds, and nerds can do anything. Uh, clearly influenced, speaking of nerds, by Revenge of the Nerds. They, uh, they kind of uh, stole some of the, the hip-hop scene climax from those movies for this. Uh, again, six years later. But uh, My God, my obsession with Revenge of the Nerds 2. Yeah. I have seen that movie so many times. I can, every single word of it. Oh, yeah. I, actually, you know what? After this, I'm going to watch that instead of it. <laughs> you should. It's a great summer movie. Hey, Shamu, Mamu, Tamu. The second one is much better than the first. Am I wrong? Um, It has more quotable lines because it was written by sitcom guys. Uh, Steve Gunselman and the guys who wrote Just the Ten of Us and The Wonder Years and Growing Pains wrote part two. And what's the guy's name? He created Bill and Ted. Um... He was an uncredited... Ed Solomon? Ed Solomon was an uncredited writer on that movie as well. Oh, it's so catchy, and it's PG-13. I didn't have to watch it through, like, closed fingers and pretending they're not actually closed fingers. Well, there's like, the, there's the wet t-shirt it. scene, that's right. And then the scene <laughs> no, where he goes, it. I just told them to bite my crank in Seminole. I don't think these guys are real Indians. <laughs> the, the, the filthiness of Revenge of the Nerds 2, though, let, makes me less uncomfortable than the Camp Cucamonga. Let's let's go watch preteens 
shower. Yeah. I mean, that is, I guess, what you do when you're 14, but it made my skin crawl, made me very uncomfortable. Yeah, that that is a little comfortable, although fairly realistic because that is a thing that teenagers do. Yes, but as an adult, you look at it going, I feel like I'm doing something wrong here. I know this is on TV, but uh, I feel I feel bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right to feel bad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe I was being too neurotic. Yeah. Well, I have this thing where everybody's like, you're overthinking this. There's something just wrong with your mental, you know, like uh, like they have no problem with it whatsoever. I'm like, no, nah, I'm pretty sure this is wrong. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. That's uh, that's a violation for these women. <laughs> Not uh, is there anything else you want to say about any of these movies before we go? I miss them. I mean, I, I, I looked forward to them every summer. And, you know, I, I what I'd kind of like to see is uh, maybe Netflix or someone like that bring these back with whoever the teen stars are today. Uh, sort of have these kind of shows, you know, like with Stranger Things, you know, why can't we do sort of a similar thing but with a comedy? You know, that isn't like Wet Hot American Summer, which I thought was way too broad and cynical. Like a, like a real, uh, you know, it's teen movie with heart that but is uh, made for tv or whatever you know tv is today you know bring back some of the people who were in these movies yeah they're, you know and have them be the parents yeah they're around or the teachers they're around brian bloom by the way i wanted to say this earlier i forgot when you watch him in dance till dawn with that mullet and the earring i'm like was he he should have been cast in lost boys because he looks like a vampire oh those eyes yeah he has he has a husky dog's eyes basically and and he just he just plays an asshole so well he is such an asshole yeah he's you, did you see the eight team movie no oh he's one of the main villains in the was it 2010 18 uh, movie and he's like the most badass yeah i believe uh, it, just it threw me out of because he he basically does video game voices now and he just came out of nowhere and he's just like kicking the snot out of the whole team i believe it that's that's the right role for him yeah so of these movies what would you say is the number one dance till dawn easily dance till dawn is very good uh i'm dream date just because of its wacky bizarre uh, humor is my first choice, but then danced it on right after that. Yeah, Dream Date's probably maybe the least well-known out of all these, I think. Um, it, yeah, it, I think it's not an expansive cast, though the video box tries to push, and featuring special appearance by Polly Shore. Yeah, yeah, he, he was probably the biggest name that came out of this movie, sadly. Uh, he is the most annoying part of the movie, but uh, he's, he's not in it that much. No, like two minutes, maybe three minutes. Yeah, yeah. He was he was busy uh, with a broken nose, being knocked out for being a jerk. <laughs> I wonder if the scene was bigger and they're like, write him out. Yeah, yeah, probably. All right, so anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, I have my podcast, TV Guidance Counselor. It comes out every Wednesday. Uh, we have some special edition episodes uh, that came out in, in July, and I'll have some more in August. Uh, I have an album out that came out in May called uh, The Vanity Project Volume 1 Hollywood Land. People can buy that if they so choose. They, they are in no way obligated to, but it would be very nice if they did. Uh, I got it. Yeah. It's really good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I have so much merchandise left over. It is obscene. Um, but people could email me if they. You got any more of the Doctor Dick and Serto? I do. I have I have many Doctor Dick and Serto shirts. If you would like one, uh, <laughs> just tell me your size, and you're welcome to have a Doctor. Oh, Dick. I'm sure that I could wear that just to work on on like yeah, casual Fridays. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Doctor Dick and Serto. What's the big deal about that? Yeah. So you know, people can find me at iCanRead.com. There's all my all my junk on there. And uh, seriously, that podcast you do is one of my favorites. Oh, thank I you. come back to it all the time. I try out other podcasts. I listen to a few episodes a handful of whatever and I get kind of burnt out yours fluctuates so much that you don't get tired of it it's a mixer of like super obscure which is what I get into I'm a, when I was a kid I was a TV fanatic right. like a, a TV-aholic and you know I love talking about the stuff that no one else is talking about 
but it also has mainstream stuff that you know your casual TV viewer of that time period will understand what you know oh yeah I watched that yeah, and I think I like to talk to people about sort of their life experiences and, and just their stories which you know I think is probably universal for for most people and a lot of it's people that it's either a good excuse to sit down and talk to old friends for a couple hours that or, or people I've known for years and have never talked to at that you know in that depth or people who I basically want to read an autobiography of that don't have one out there so I'm like well I'm just gonna have to go talk to them and get it myself yeah there's there's so many stories out there that have not been recorded and not have been discussed everything in art and yes TV sitcoms all this stuff counts as art should be preserved yeah. and discussed. Yeah. And it's it's bizarre. There's so many TV shows still not available. I cannot believe that Head of the Class, not a single season has been released. And nobody really knows the history of that. But then there's other shows, like I think that are a little, you know, subpar, I don't really get into. And then there's like every single episode available and there's books about them and stuff like that. And I just don't, you know, it's yeah. everything needs to be preserved. I mean, I think a lot of it boils down to money too. Like, like step by step, every episode of that show, which was shot on film, was remastered in HD years ago and it's been you know again not my favorite show but here's a good example where, where that's all been prepared for some sort of release and has been sitting because networks look at it as a commodity and they, they want to milk as much money out of it as they can and so I think head of the class if they felt like they could make money off it they would you know maybe they will someday I didn't, I didn't think I'd get every season of Growing Pains on DVD or you know give me a break or Kate and Alley. I'm still holding out for just the 10 of us but um yes it's like you read my mom when you said Growing Pains I'm like yeah just the 10 of us you can't even find youtube episodes well I, it's bizarre it's like the tv show just disappeared i do have every episode uh, on dvd from my tapes off television <coughs> so <laughs> yeah uh, the hookup uh, i could uh, i, I miss that show I, dearly yeah i could hook you up with that it's and yeah I, I i do revisit those all the time it's it's a really good show all right so i think we're kind of getting a little long-winded here seriously i could talk about tv and pop culture in general just forever and ever as could i if i didn't pass out yeah. from I was, i'm sorry you always get to the hour point i'm like getting hoarse and get tired like tired and we i need a nap now <laughs> okay so everybody check us out on facebook under video night exclamation point this is kind of the episode where it stands for what video night means it's about you know lost movies independent movies underrated movies movies that bomb these movies are not being discussed they're like in this little corner archived away and people need to learn about them yes everybody's talking about star trek and star wars the last year but let's talk about tv movies from 30 years ago that hardly anybody remember <laughs> and i will say this if you know this may be for another episode but if people loved these movies and wanted more like this there are a few movies that uh, that came out after this in the 2000s that i felt had this kind of vibe and one of them was um was fun size which is a halloween movie and maybe good for halloween special which is very underrated really good movie i also really yeah, i haven't seen that one it's it's fun very fun movie came out maybe four years ago it takes place on halloween night all in one night it's very much in the spirit of these kind of movies it's a comedy there's another one called sleepover which is uh you know a tween movie but is but is very fun and i actually really like the movie band slam which is uh, again very much in the spirit of these movies but all three of these were theatrical movies and do kind of have the vibe of, of these teen, these uh 80s made for tv teen movies i haven't seen a single one of those i remember all of them but i never saw a single one of them yeah weird i don't 
think they were aimed at us, and I, I just bit the bullet, and I was like, I'm going to watch these, and I really liked all three of them. Hmm, me think is I will try one. Yeah, I would recommend it. I would say either Band Slam or Fun Size would be the one I would go with. Okay, yeah, Fun Size, if it's about Halloween, I'm totally watching. I will watch anything about Halloween. I will watch the Berenstain Bears and the Haunted Tree. <laughs> oh, I have. Yeah, definitely watch Fun Size then, and I'm curious to see what you think. Okay. All right, everybody, that is it for us here, and uh, have cool. a good night. Um, all right. Video night. That's what he calls his fists.